Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here we go. Talk Recorded live. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. Saltober is almost at a finale. It's kind of sad, really. Uh, but at the same time, I'm excited. I'm your host, or one of your hosts, Travis. I'm joined by the mighty Victor, who has uh, just completed like a 12-hour day of work. What is up, man? Not only did I just complete a 12-hour day of work, I'm now I'm sitting in fucking traffic. Well, that's just some bullshit. You hadn't doing nothing. You had you heading down to E-Town? I am. I'm stupid. <laughs> uh, well, it rained today in the Ville, or it rained last night, so, you know, everybody's scared and running into each other. So that's how that goes. Is that what this is? Or it's either that or construction. It's something. I don't know. So, uh, Vic, you know, tonight we're going to be talking about Saw 6 and Saw the Final Chapter, Saw 3D, uh, Saw 7, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, so I'm um, kind of excited about it because this is the precursor to us going to see Jigsaw Thursday night. Pretty excited about that as well, assuming our movie pass holds up for us since we'll have to buy it 30 minutes in advance rather than you know just being able to walk in like we can for most movies. Yeah, no doubt. But, hey, hopefully it works, man. Hopefully it works. Well, I'm four for four so far, so we'll see how this one goes on opening night. Uh, but, you know, Saw 6 came out in 2009, October 23rd, 2009, Vic. That's a long-ass time ago, and it doesn't feel like that long. It's just insane to me that these movies – it just seems like they've been around all this time, but, I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, dude. Like, Saw 6 came out, like, fucking – Six years, seven years ago, whatever, man. It's weird to me. Fucking crazy. Um, so, you know, uh, as I talked about last episode, Saw 5 got a 5.8 on IMDb. Not one of the the, the higher, uh, you know, entries into the series as far as uh, IMDb goes. Uh, so what do you think about the follow-up, Vic? What do you think Saw 6 gets? Um, so usually I try to go with what I know how IMDb people are. The further it goes into a franchise, the lower the scores go. That's just how it works. Because, like, these people are like robots. They're like retarded robots, actually. But (laughs) I'm going to go with how I truly feel on this one. And I'm going to say a 6.5. All right. So it went up from 5.8. You've got that part right. It didn't go up a lot, though. It went up to a 6.0. So 6.0, that's good. You know, it's, it's an increase. That's the important thing, yeah. So, uh, like I said, October 23rd, 2009, this bad boy came out. Let's check out the budget and all that good shit. Budget, $11 million. It went up slightly. Uh, the gross in the U.S., it dropped considerably, Vic. It was only $27 million. Oh, shit. So a big drop. No wonder they decided that the one after this would be the last one. 
So yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they uh, went on in green with that next one. You know, I saw something here. I was looking at the uh, company credits, and one of the production companies actually involved with this was a Bigger Boat Productions. And I always remember this because it was involved with Hatchet also, and maybe Frozen as well. And I always remember a Bigger Boat Production Company because that's a you know a Jaws reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. So good shit there all around. Now, you and I both watched uh, Saw 6 and Saw 7 over the last couple of days. But, again, I've told you, after Part 3 or so, they all run together for me. So it's all kind of like watching them over again. And you can see how they all run together because this whole thing is just one big story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So Vic, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the honors of doing the rundown since you're driving. I'll do both rundowns tonight and kind of wrap I this thing up that. for Saw Six and Saw Seven. Um, let's get into Saw Six real quick. So the movie opens up in a kind of a similar fashion to the other films, where you've got a woman who's played by Tanidra Howard, uh, who is and I remember this Vic, I remember this well. The Scream Queens reality show. I think I'm, I used to watch it with my ex-wife, and the winner of it would get uh, a spot in Saw. And this chick did. It's the black chick at the oh, start of this movie. Awesome. Yep. I, mean, I, don't even, I don't even remember that shit. That's awesome. Yeah. It was on MTV, I believe. Um, so she awakens in this dark room, and she's got a trap on her head. Kind of looks like the uh, jaw trap, except you can see her face more. Um, and it's like a headset with two bolts placed at her temples in kind of a position that will drill into her brain if it activates. So um, maybe not the most disgusting trap, but effective, because if something drills into your brain, you're probably dead. Um, and across the room, separated uh, from her her location, is this fence that's impassable. I mean, it's one of those fences kind of like you see in a lot of the warehouses in the Saul movies. Um, you've got this fat guy who wakes up, and he's got the same device on his head. And, you know, she's telling him, don't move, don't move. And, he, you know, he's all groggy, and he moves. You know, he panics, and... Both of them at this point have activated a timer, or or at least the first thing that goes off is this TV. And, you know, you get the signature TV message from Jigsaw. Um, this one's the puppet. Because sometimes you'll actually see John Kramer on there, but this time it's the puppet. John Kramer's long dead, as we well know. I mean, long dead in this, though. Who knows how long that is, because they all, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're boom, 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 boom. They're all like Halloween and 1 and 2. So... They're really close together. Well, Jigsaw blames these two for uh, their roles in medical insurance crimes because apparently um, they're denying policies and claims for profit. And, you know, he kind of directs their attention to the scale mounted between the fences. And one of the two has to die. That's just the way the way it is with this game, according to Jigsaw. And the survivor will be the one who cuts off the most flesh from their own bodies and place it as places it on the scale in a 60-second time frame. And, Vic, we've already got an idea here. So, you know, in the first one, somebody has to cut off their own foot. And uh, in this one, it's all about, you know, sacrifice. You need to cut off fucking flesh from your own body. And whoever cuts off the most, it, you know, gets to live. That's fucked. That's so fucked. <laughs> it's fucking horrible, man. Well, Jigsaw kind of shows them what will happen if they're unsuccessful. Um, it basically tells them that a warning twist of the screw with a twist of the screw headsets, which kind of gives them like minor injuries, and so basically it'll tell them that it'll drill into their brain and kill them. So when the tape stops, as always, 
the man, or, or you know, the the timer starts for sixty seconds. So the fat guy, he takes a fucking knife from a table of tools left by Jigsaw, and these are all like cutlery, and he just starts cutting away pieces of his love handles for the scale. And Vic, it's not the most disgusting thing I've seen in the series, but it was pretty fucking nasty, wasn't it? Yeah, man, and he's like. I'm not gonna fucking die for you, bitch. And you start going to fucking town, dude. Like, oh my god, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah, he does what he, you know, he does what she thinks the smart thing. He's a fat guy. He's gonna cut off the excess fat. I mean, they they said flesh, right? Yeah, well, she, yeah. On, on the other side, she kind of raises her shirt up and looks down, and it's like, you know, she's fit. She doesn't have anything to cut off. And she's like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? So. Um, yep. She starts trying to cut her chains first, but that doesn't work, obviously. And, uh, you know, this guy's already cut a portion of his flesh away and dropped it into the scale. So he's winning at this point. You know, it's already started. And, you know, she panics, and she starts tying surgical tubing around her upper arm to form, like, a makeshift tourniquet. And she starts to cut her arm off with a knife. Which, by the way, you know, there's a fucking meat cleaver laying right there. Why would you, like, go... That sounds, like, extra painful for no reason. I mean, as horrible as it is, why would you do the slow message? <laughs> yeah, man. She's just sitting there fucking trying to carve that shit off, man. Oh, it's fucking nasty, dude. It's just like when... And I feel like this show's a little bit more than when Dr. Gordon was cutting his foot off, you know? It's a little bit more oh, explicit. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure yeah, they cut seconds sure. out of it, too. I'm sure. So, you know, by the time she's uh, working on her arm, this guy, you know, he's already placed a second hunk of flesh on the scale, so he's well ahead at this point. And, you know, with seconds left to spare, she finally fucking grabs this this meat cleaver and brutally hacks away at her entire arm, severs it, staggers over to the scale, drops it in there, and then the swings on the weight, you know, goes into her favor, and the dude dies as this headset drills into his brain. She survives. You end the opening scene. Pretty cool opening. I have to say, I think it was a better opening than... Which one was the one where the two guys were tied up to each other? Saw 5? Or was no, Saw 2? Uh, I don't remember now. Like you yeah, said, you know what I'm They all run together. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Saw 4 where the guys got... His, yeah, it's Saw 4 where the guys... You know, it, it's decent trap, but it, it's not that gross like this one other than the guy opening his mouth. This one, foul. The trap itself, not so bad. You know what I'm saying? It was the game that was nasty here. So this guy dies. And, you know, this is kind of a a trend of the next two movies here, a theme of it, insurance, which, by the way, makes me nervous as shit that Jigsaw's going to show up in my house anytime. Some pig mask person's going to kidnap me. I'm going to end up in a saw trap. Because, you know, (laughs) this is my, my line of work here. I got a few people I'd like to be in the jigsaw trap from work. <laughs> I'd love it. Hell yeah. It'd be awesome. Uh, a bunch of attorneys in California we'll start with. All right. So this movie kicks off. You've got this main guy. His name's William, played by Peter Outerbridge. Which, by the way, Vic, you know this main insurance guy? Uh, you want to hear something fucked up? Let, you know, so I watched Saw 6 and Saw 7 yesterday and today. Last night, my wife was watching some chick flick on Netflix, and this dude's just randomly in it. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, what's he doing here? Yeah. Yeah, I came to bed, and this dude's on my TV. I'm like, she's not watching Saul. What's going on here? So, 
this guy's the scum of the air. There's no other way to put it. He's the vice president of claims and investigations for a medical insurance company named Umbrella Health. Hey, you think that was a nod to maybe a Resident Evil, Vic? Victor? All right. Victor has gone to La La Land for the moment. Anyway, so he supervises... Uh, yeah, he went away. He supervises a team of six people who use, like, a formula that's devised by this guy to determine when it would be appropriate to deny claims. Pretty sure this is pretty close to reality. His team and him are always portrayed as, like, extremely nitpicky individuals who are, you know, when it comes to work, they're always looking at it for minor errors and faults in applications in order to cut down on costs. Boy, what a fun... You know, this is eight years later and healthcare is still a huge issue in this country uh, rather than focusing on the lives of their clients. Well, William is shown as uh, kind of being in, in counsel with the company's with this company's legal advisor who's kind of hot. And, you know, he shares a drink with her in his office and, you know, they're having a phone conversation. Well, it sounds like a loved one. You're not sure if it's a wife or what, but um, he says he can't attend a birthday. Apparently, it's his sister. Well, the legal advisor, the lawyer, you know, is helping William prepare a deposition, and he's coming under legal fire fire by a previous client who died after William denied his insurance claims. This is going to be a big part of this movie, you know, as I talked about earlier. Hey, Victor, did you hear what I said earlier about the, the company that this guy works for? It's called Umbrella Health. I didn't hear that, but that's awesome. Well, if that's not a nod to Resident Evil, I don't know what is. Yes, sir. I like it. Like it. So this whole thing's fucked up. You get a flashback, right? And, it's, you know, it shows that this guy is suffering from a heart condition. And William's team, which he calls the dog pit, used an unrelated oral surgery from 30 years ago to justify their denials. And, Vic, I said this earlier, but how true is this shit now? Insurance is still a huge issue in this country, no matter which side of the, the, uh, the coin you're on. You know what I'm saying? It's fucked up either way. Yes, sir. So, basically, they're saying that this guy had surgery for, like, an abscess tooth or something. And they're saying, well, as you know, that could develop into gum disease, which can develop into heart disease. And it's like, this was 30 years ago. What the fuck? So, anyway, these they're assholes. There's no other way to put it. And this guy's like, you just sentenced me to death. Um, and, and, you know, William, this main guy, he has no problem with it. He's basically like, good job. You guys continue to keep finding issues with people's application. Let them die. It is what it is. I mean, these people pay premiums for years, but fuck them. Um, so, you know, we we now go to the next successor to Jigsaw, who is fucking awesome. Detective Hoffman, played by Costas Mandalore. Our dude, I have to tell you again, Vic, I fucking love Detective Hoffman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's been pretty awful. Yes. It shows him in a glass box he's hidden away in at the end of Saul 5, which, by the way, let me just jump back to our last episode. The end of Saul 5 was really fucking cool, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. So this box transports him outside the crushing wall trap area and into another room where he just walks out of the box and returns to double-check the trap's success to make sure that it killed Stram... As you guys recall, Scram was about to be crushed, and he was. He opens the walls, and fucking, it is nasty, because Agent Peter Scram's corpse is nothing but a mangled and torn mess. It is just like 
crushed to bits, isn't it, Vic? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Suffice to say, he did. He did. So, no more yeah, tram. He did, which is, he did. Which is good with me, because he's the second least like or second least likable character in the series next to Jeff, in my opinion. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's the one that ruined the whole movie. So, part three. And he tried to ruin part four, but they killed him immediately. They said, fuck you, you're dead. Yeah, they knew to get rid of him. Yeah, he's a bum. Well, okay, so Detective Kaufman is called to the scene, or Hoffman, Kaufman, what the fuck. You can tell I've been drinking. I've been drinking, you know it. Oh, by the way, tonight, we're sponsored by uh, Hard Pressed Hard Apple Cider. I'm back to that one this week, just because I didn't have time to go get my gumption. And I like hard-pressed apple cider. It's kind of cheap, so that's always a good thing. But anyway, so Hoffman is called... Yeah. So he's called to the scene of the opening scene's trap, which is sometime in the future. Who knows when? That's the confusing thing about this series. It's a fucking Tarantino movie. Um, Erickson, which was the uh, guy that looked like uh, Major Dad from the last one, he's the FBI agent supervising Stram from the previous movie. He's already there with local authorities. And, you know, they discover fingerprints at the scene of the crime, which is new to them, you know, because they never fucking found fingerprints anywhere. And it turns out they actually belong to Agent Peter Stram. Uh-oh. Hoffman had... I mean, obviously, Hoffman had retrieved Stram's hand from the wall trap, and he's using it to, you know, basically blame him for all this shit. Which is a good plan, really. Because the dude's dead, you can't even ask him about it. And not only is he dead, he's fucking disappeared just like he said he would, you know? He said he'd be gone and he's going to be blamed for what he did. So uh, this kind of gets endangered when uh, Erickson actually introduces their new partner in the investigation. And who is it? It's fucking Special Agent Lindsay Perez. So, Vic, all our uh, questions in the last movie about how the fuck did she die and what happened and why didn't it show her? Did she just contractually not want to come back? They're explained here. It was a false death. She wasn't actually dead. So she's back in this one. Which is cool, because yeah, I don't like it being just done off screen. <laughs> it happens, man. It happens. So, you know, like we said, she was Stram's partner in the earlier films, who we all thought was dead. And he assumed she was dead, too. And we learned that, you know, her death was only implied as they didn't want to risk her life until they knew who they could trust. I mean, because there was obviously an inside job going on here. And, you know, Stram had been implicated as the jigsaw killer, and only Hoffman knew of his death. They decided it was safe to let Hoffman in on the secret. And this, you know, scares the shit out of Hoffman because, you know, as she knew Stram best, obviously she's going to be a threat to his cover because she didn't believe Stram did it, even if she hasn't said so yet. Well, meanwhile, we go to another location where we get Jill Tuck. Um, still looking pretty good, still looking batshit crazy, correct? Yes, sir. She just looks mad all the time, which I guess I would be, too, if I were her. Well, you know, she was Jigsaw's <laughs> wife from the previous films, and, you know, she's shown opening the box from Saw 5, the one that was given to her uh, by the lawyer and and the lawyer asked her what it was, and she was basically like, fuck you, I'm not telling you. And the contents aren't disclosed yet, but she does produce six envelopes, numbered one through six, and a yellow envelope without a number. So there's apparently other things in the box as well. 
She opens one of the envelopes, and inside is a picture of a young woman with glasses, who we'll get to here. And the woman is Pamela Jenkins, who's an investigative journalist who's published a book on Jigsaw. I'd like to read that book, by the way. I, I hate when yeah, I see yeah. these things in movies. I want to read them. I don't give a shit if it's all fiction. It'd still be sweet. I'd read it. I'd read it. Yeah, and we we both know that you don't like reading, so that's saying something. Because reading is stupid. Well, this chick, she corners Hoffman at a hospital in an attempt to get a statement from him. And if she cornered me like that, I would have just raped her. That would have been my reaction to it. Because she would have gotten Yeah, she definitely had a Stacey Keebler vibe to her, didn't she? Ain't nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. I love Miss Hancock. Yes, exactly, Miss Hancock. Well, Hoffman basically tells her to fuck off. She's a sensationalist trying to profit from Jigsaw. I mean, what a scumbag. Anybody that's doing anything related to Jigsaw, what a scumbag, Hoffman. <laughs> Hoffman, he's great. He, he's so fucking twisted. Anyway, so Pamela, Pamela offers um, uh, uh, Hoffman a deal. Get her a lead on Jill Tuck's location so she can interview her, and she'll tone down the sensationalism. And Hoffman's like, well, I'll see what I can do. And he should have just offered, you know, been like, well, how about I just give you the D before I go? But he didn't offer that. He, this man spends a lot of time killing people or having people killed. That's what I've noticed from you know, these past few movies. That's like his entire fucking life. He doesn't do anything else. You know, no, I, he's not old like Jigsaw. Yeah, I mean, he's committed to this fucking craft, didn't he? Hell yeah, man. I kind of, you know, there's times that I wish I could be like him. So now he walks into the hospital room of the survivor from the opening scene's drill trap, the black chick. And that's who she is to us. Which confuses me when there's more than one black chick, because I don't know who they are. They're all the same person to me at that point. They're all lubas. <laughs> they're, they're all lubas. <laughs> luba, 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 luba. Luba, bo- luba boner. So, yeah, luba boner. She, yeah, she's missing her fucking arm. I guess they can't reattach that, can they? They could reattach a finger, but not an arm. Uh, they probably could. They could probably like surgically do it or something, right? I, I, guess I bet not. they could in human. I bet they could in human centipede. I bet they would. That's very true. That's an easy procedure. The arm. That's totally different than attaching somebody's mouth to another person's anus. Exactly. I mean, my guy uh, Lawrence Harvey could do that easy. <laughs> so black ass here. You know, she's alive. She's missing an arm. And, you know, Hoffman's asking her about what what ha- Luba Boner here. You know, Hoffman's <laughs> asking her about what happened and whether or not she had learned anything from the game. She's like, look at my arm. Look at my arm. What was I supposed, what was I supposed to, learn? to learn? Yeah, it's like not to get ghetto with me. That's what you were supposed to learn. Yeah. You know, Hoffman walked out of there hey. like, yeah, he's walking out of there like this fucking bitch. I ought to murder her. And that might come to fruition, you know. <laughs> I'd be okay with it. I think she's number three least liked person by me, by the way. Like, I think she's number three behind Stram and uh, Jeff. Yeah. I even like the fat rapist better than her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I identify with him. That's all. <laughs> Understood, my friend. Perez and Erickson, you know, they present new evidence to Hoffman now. Jigsaw pieces cut from the flesh of John Kramer's victims 
used a surgical blade. Well, Strams, quote, you know, quote, unquote, Strams victims, really Hoffman's, used a rough blade, which means that, you know, um, Hoffman wasn't using the right type of blade. He should have been using like a scalpel, but he wasn't. So there was only one victim who matched that, and that was Seth. Seth Baxter, the, the pendulum victim from Saul 5, who had actually killed Hoffman's sister, and the one that Hoffman had killed using the Jigsaw MO before he was Jigsaw's apprentice. So if you guys are following this, you're good to go, because there's a lot of shit going on. Well, this leads Perez and Erickson to start an investigation on Seth's trap and uh, tape to see if they can find further evidence linking the new Jigsaw killings and the old one. You know, because if it's a different knife, maybe it's a different tape and a different voice. So they're going to try to unscramble it and see what it says. So also, Stram's fingerprints seem to contain high traces of freon coolant chemicals. Uh, and they've yet to find out why. And uh, we find out later on why, because, you know, obviously Stram's keeping, or uh, Hoffman's keeping Stram's hand frozen for uses in this direction via fingerprints. But anyway, Hoffman keeps his calm. He's a cool motherfucker. He, he ain't worried about it, you know what I'm saying? He's like, I got this. And, uh, he, he, but he is fucking feeling the pressure, you can tell. You know, the investigation of the tape and the other clues are, are going to get him in trouble if he's not careful. So, he, you know, he's got a plan, hopefully, for him. Jill goes to her clinic. No, not her abortion clinic. Her, like, fucking druggy clinic that she still works at despite having the miscarriage there, which is pretty fucked up. I would have quit. <laughs> I would have quit. I would have been like, yeah, sorry, I'm done. I'm, do I'm done dealing with druggies. Which is interesting because we get a conversation about this now. You know, she goes to her clinic, clinic and she's alarmed to see Hoffman there. And she takes him into her office and they start talking about John, a.k.a. Tobin Bell, original Jigsaw. And it's readily apparent that Jill is on Hoffman's, is in on Hoffman's secret. She knows who the fuck he is. She knows what's up, which we didn't know in the previous movies. We figured Jill was just kind of an innocent bystander, right? They never real, revealed anything about her. So. Yeah. And so they apparently appear to be collaborating in some form regarding the Jigsaw killings and in a new game. Well, Hoffman says that they have to start the new game immediately and demands the f envelopes from Jigsaw's box. Well, Jill agrees and gives him not six envelopes, but five. So you have to kind of watch that to catch that part because, honestly, the first time I didn't fucking notice. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not paying. You like you like you got to pay attention to these movies. And halftime, I'm just grossed out the whole time. So it's hard to like hone in <laughs> on all the little details. Well, <laughs> Hoffman, you know, he's satisfied with it. And he leaves, saying, you know, after this game, he never wants to see her again. And you know, they seem to be cool with it, which is funny because like she didn't want to deal with him anyway, and she had told him that like this wasn't John's way, and he's like, John's fucking dead. So. You know, Hoffman's going out on his own here, and that may not be a good thing because anytime anybody tries to do that, Amanda, it doesn't work out for him. So, okay, so Jill has a flashback to when, you know, John was alive because we always got to get our John Kramer flashbacks because fucking Tobin Bell is the Robert England of this generation. Right? Anyone? Or maybe the uh, Dr. Loomis. Yeah, I, I, either one of them. Well, you know, uh, following his suicide attempt, and apparently after he began his jigsaw killings, you know, he's talking to Jill, and he's telling her that his addiction is, that addiction, not his addiction, is not curable via treatment, and that the only way to help people is his way. You know, he's giving her shit for this clinic, which probably I would too after all that. 
and you know he brings in Amanda, and and we're like, yeah, Amanda, show your titties, but she doesn't. And Amanda, you know, she was she was a patient at the rehab clinic, so we get a little nice connection here. Now we know how um, John Kramer found out about Amanda, right? And it seems they wrap up most things in a nice little bow for us. It's nice, even if they are ninety percent flashbacks a lot of the time. You know, Amanda was a patient there and supposedly supposedly made clean by John's game. And Jill's kind of impressed, but it doesn't, you know, really go anywhere with that. Well, now Hoffman has a flashback of his own. He's, you know, kind of helping to adjust the uh, crucifix trap from Saul 3, which was a cool trap, by the way. And this is prior to its activation. And its victim, Timothy, is still laid out in a wheelbarrow. And uh, Jigsaw arrives in a wheelchair being pushed by Amanda. And Jigsaw kind of gives Hoffman shit for, well, first of all, he dumped the dude out of the fucking wheelbarrow. And, you know, Jigsaw and Amanda are kind of giving Hoffman shit for using, for failure to use proper engineering knowledge. Like friction, grease, gear ratios, all that type of shit that I don't understand because I'm not that smart, right? (laughs) You might be smarter than me than that, but I don't understand it because I'm not that smart. And I didn't pay enough attention in physics. I think that's for class, but it might be. I didn't didn't go to speed school. Yeah, fuck that. We'll talk to Tyler's wife about that. She's good at engineering from what I understand. And so he tells him to check with him next time. Well, Hoffman wonders if they're, you know, will there, you know, when will be the next time? And carelessly, like I said, dumps Timothy's body on the floor and Jigsaw is bothered by it. He's like, do you like brutality? And Amanda warns Hoffman that he hasn't been tested yet. And Hoffman's like, that's because I don't need to be. You know, I value my life, and he's, like, showing Amanda's wrists. (laughs) Well, Amanda's saying that, you know, she's not going anywhere, even though he's dying. And Hoffman's like, he's like, are you sure about that? And, you know, he's basically in on the fact that Amanda's got a test coming on, which that whole thing about keeping Lynn alive from Saul 3 is coming. And so Jigsaw kind of breaks it up by telling Amanda it's time to retrieve Dr. Lynn, which is, again, from Saul 3, from the hospital. And Amanda kind of escorts Jigsaw out of here. So on the way out, Jill's in the hallway waiting. Amanda seems hesitant or, like, embarrassed. I'm not sure which. And Jigsaw tells Amanda to go on ahead with her duties, which is to go get the chick. So Jigsaw's surprised that Jill showed up, and Jill begs Jigsaw to stop, and or John Kramer, or whatever you want to fucking call him. And he tells her that, you know, there's a way out even after it's gone, for her anyway, and gives her the keys of the box that she ends up receiving from his will. And he didn't explain shit to it. So, I mean, this is all a big mystery for now. Well, back at William's office, we go all the way back to the insurance guy now. Feels like we've had ten flashbacks before then, right? It's now nighttime. And this guy's watching a news broadcast about Jigsaw's killings, continuing despite the death of Jigsaw. And at this moment, the power goes off in the building, and he fucking freaks out, and he sees a shadowy figure moving across the office. So he grabs a fucking gun from his desk. I wonder how many um, insurance claims have been done because of people getting shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just it, It's kind of amusing for an insurance guy to have a gun. But uh, <laughs> So he, had, he, he fucking hides under his desk, and he ambushes whoever the figure is, and he shoots him. And it's revealed that it's actually a security guard. And as William tries to keep him alive, the guard tries to point out that the actual jigsaw pig mask person is actually behind him. And then he gets abducted by the uh, the pig mask person, which we would assume is Hoffman. Well, anyway, 
We now go to the reporter, Pamela, who's also abducted by Jigsaw after following Hoffman lead, Hoffman's lead to Jill's apartment. You know, she's in possession of a letter, the letter from Saul Three, written by Hoffman to Amanda, though the contents aren't revealed at this time. Jill says she doesn't know what it means, and Pamela's turned away. So she leaves the letter for Jill anyway, and, and she's abducted by Jigsaw as she tries to leave the building. Back to William now. He wakes up in a standing position, suspended by chains and held between two large blocks. Kind of like with a gas mask on, right? Isn't that what he's got on? Some sort of gas mask? Yes. It's weird. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So now we don't just get Jigsaw explaining. We get John Kramer explaining. And I feel like this is an important distinction. You know what I'm saying? Because you can tell this is something that John Kramer wanted done, not something Hoffman's doing. I mean, he may be doing it for John Kramer, but that's the point. You know, it's not his own game. And, you know, we talked about that earlier, how he had some games left. Well, he explains that this guy's guilty of trying to uh, decide who should live or die without regard for human life itself. And across from William is his janitor, who's strapped in an identical uh, device. And William has a bomb strapped to each of his limbs, controlled by separate keys. And only by proceeding through his test within one hour will he receive the keys to release his limbs from the bombs. So Jigsaw also says that if he fails to do so, uh, he'll never see his family again, implying that they're in danger. Which is important, because that's going to be another theme here, maybe a little bit of... um, misdirection. But anyway, um, to obtain the first key, he has to survive his first test. After the tape ends, every breath that he takes will bring the stone blocks closer together, eventually crushing them through the rib cage. And the only way to escape is to outlast the other individual. So it's another, you know, versus situation where it's him and the janitor, and it's a hold your breath contest. And the whole point of this is the janitor had like emphysema or some shit, and he still continued to smoke. So Jigsaw's like, he didn't appreciate his life. So, despite William's best efforts to warm him, warn him, the, the janitor really can't hold his breath that well, and he gets crushed between the two blocks eventually, and it releases William. So he uses the key in the room to release one of his wrists from the bomb shackles and leaves through a ladder. Meanwhile, you've got a mother and a son who, by the way, you think are Williams, do you not, like at this point in the movie? Victor? I think Victor's left us again. Well, anyway, the mother and son are trapped in a room with a vat of hydrofluoric acid linked to sprinklers and a switch that says live or die. And they receive no tape or message, but they can see a timer. So in another similar room, Pamela's trapped with a tape. And the contents are not revealed in their entirety off the bat, but it appears that they will die if William fails to accomplish his tasks. So William goes into the room where he must grab two handles. Upon doing so, it's revealed that his file clerk, a young healthy man with no family, and his secretary, who's a diabetic woman with a family, are being held on suspended platforms like barbed wire around their necks. So he has to let go of one handle and drop one of them to their desk or they'll both both die. rather. And this freaks him out, obviously, because the idea of murder and death is absolutely awful to him. But at the same time, this is what Jigsaw is saying to him, that, you know, the woman's in worse shape than him, so technically you should save him. But which one are you going to save, the one with the family or the one without? So he has to make up his mind. You know, as the handles begin to build more resistance, he actually has no choice but to let go of one of them. 
and his hand slips. So he chooses to hold on to the handle that saves the old woman, and and the guy falls and swings hard against the wall to his death. So he chose to save the one that was in worse worst health, worse health, but that actually had a family. So William, you know, he apologizes. But he has to continue. And he tells her to be careful and you know, second key to free another arm. So now he's got two arms free, and now he's on his way to the next test. So William now has flashbacks to, to um, uh, due to these messages left under his shackles. The first is regarding uh, a party that he met John Kramer at. John and William actually discussed the similarities of their jobs where William chooses who lives or dies based on the formula he created for profitability where John gives him shit for for not taking into account the individual's desire to, desire to live. Sorry, I'm drunk. Let me take a drink here. Not sure that's going to help anything. Anyway, so the next flashback is actually regarding a final decision show, uh, where John shows up at William's office talking about how um, his insurance coverage denied him treatment um, because... It's like out-of-network type bullshit. It's an experimental treatment using gene therapy that could save his life. William denies him for it being unprofitable. And John's pissed off that William will allow him to die. So calling him out on his lack of morality and the faults of the healthcare system and telling him that if he thinks that he'll not be judged by the living and dead, he'll be proven wrong. So William then enters a room filled with steam. Victor, you're back now. Question for you. Victor, are you back? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. So you know the kid and the woman. Did you assume this was William's kid and wife at this point in the movie? Like you know, midway through, the ones that are in the cage, basically. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, I know we're gonna get a swerve later, and if you haven't seen Saw Six, then you're fucking up because you're listening to a show about Saw Six. But anyway. If this were, I mean, they all swerved me. I never fucking see any of this coming. Oh, <laughs> There's yeah, too yeah, much they're... going on to think about it. So yeah, plus they don't even let you know. Yeah, they're good with that. Right. Yep. So William enters this room filled with steam, and below him, trapped in a maze, is his legal counsel, who's fucking hot, but she doesn't look too hot right here. Who is from the beginning of the movie, and she's got a device on her neck that'll kill her unless she makes it through to the other side. Uh, and she can only do this if William opens up steam valves to allow her passage. And every time he opens one of these, it actually directs steam to harm him. So he could merely pass and just let her die, but he wants to help her. So he calms her down and he guides her through the maze. You know, he takes blasts of steam to the face for her, and she gets through. And uh, once she gets through, though, she, you know, there's no key to release her neck trap. Instead, she's provided with a power saw and an x-ray showing the key is actually inside a suture made on William's body. So automatically, you get the idea of the guy that has the fucking key behind his eye from Saul 2, I want to say. Or maybe it was Saul. Either way, fuck that. I would die. Like I said. You're not cutting into me. God damn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Fuck. Yeah, man. This is fucking crazy. So William tells her he's going to get it out for her, right? I mean, it appears the stitches are fresh, and he could probably get it out pretty easily at least. But, you know, she freaks out, and she panics, and she rushes him with the power saw. She's going to fucking cut him open herself. And, yeah, she's fucking, she's not fucking around because she's a woman, and those bitches are crazy. (laughs) 
Sorry, women. Anyway, he tries to stop her, but, uh, you know, she's not going to be stopped. She's fucking fighting. So he fights back long enough for a timer to spring, and the trap on her neck penetrates her skull and kills her. So another, like, you get a kill, but it's nothing special. These traps aren't anything spectacular just yet. Um, it's more so that it's like part of the game that's the nastier part of this. Would you agree? Like in Saw 6 so far, it's not so much the traps that are so vicious, it's the game itself. Like this dude having to get key out of his own body. Pretty fun. Well, Vic's gone. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, so William takes another key, and he frees his third shackled limb. And at the site of the game, Hoffman's watching uh, from his viewing area, but he's called away by the agents, Erickson and Perez. So we've got Mexicool and Major Dad. Victor, question for you. Up to this point in the movie, do you think, like I said earlier, that the, uh, the fucking game is more disgusting than the actual traps so far? Like the people that get killed by the oh, traps, they're yeah. not so bad. Yeah, fuck yeah. The, the game seems just, to be what I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. yeah you got to go through some shit here. And I think that's actually probably true in the next one, too. But we'll get there in a bit. So anyway, um, this guy now, he goes to... Uh, or Hoffman goes to Erickson and Perez. They found evidence based on the tape made by Hoffman at Seth Baxter's trap and uh, need him right away. So Hoffman leaves the site of the game and goes to investigate. And when he arrives, he finds that they're about to break the distortion on the tape you know, to figure out whose voice it is. And Erickson and Perez begin to lay into Hoffman about the Stramish jigsaw theory and begin to aggressively lay out evidence as the sound technician finishes up analysis on the data. Vic, I shouldn't be able to pronounce some of the words I am right now. It's amazing. Anyway, (laughs) as she she comes up with Hoffman's voice, Hoffman cuts the power to the room and and this is fucking, this is when he turns into a slasher, does he not? This motherfucker goes Rambo on everybody. He yes, he sir. fucking, uh, he fucking slashes Erickson across the throat and kills the sound technician. Then he corners Perez and stabs her repeatedly, demanding to know who else knows the secret. And she says everyone knows, and then she fucking dies, and he calls her a liar. So there's so much evidence in all this bullshit. Hoffman leaves Stram prints using the frozen hand and douses the lab in gasoline setting it on fire and then he heads back towards the scene of the game Hoffman is a bad motherfucker isn't he oh hell yeah I mean he's been a bad motherfucker from the get though yeah but I mean they got this motherfucker cornered he's done and he just goes ape shit on everybody and wipes them all out it is fucking awesome you know what I'm saying like I said he goes rainbow yeah and you kind of think Hoffman, I, you don't know how tough he is because he kind of let Stram kick his ass, but it was just to get Stram killed. So, I mean, this motherfucker, he, he's pretty smart. Like, you wouldn't think he'd be as smart as he is. Now, granted, I will say in, like, part six and seven, I feel like we're really escaping reality at this point. Like, some of these things that happen, it's like, it is fucking impossible. But, you know, I'm willing to roll with it. He's fucking awesome. <laughs> so, we get William again this douchebag insurance guy. He enters his last trap now, and he's trying to be real careful, and he learns the next trap actually contains his entire investigative claims team. Vic, I remember seeing this in the previews, and I think it panned out pretty well. Again, this one is not about the the deaths so much as it's just kind of a cool fucking visual 
You know what I'm saying? This is where the claims team, the dog pit, they're all six of them are strapped to a rotating carousel. Yes. Oh, fucking beautiful. Yes. It was, it was amazing. It was, man. It's just this is what separates Jigsaw from everybody else because it's all about ingenuity and just originality. Um, uh, it's not about one guy, you know, snatching somebody up and beating them to death, which is always fun. I'm not criticizing that, but it's cool to see the nice little things that they come up with for us. I mean, your imagination's the limit. So they've got a shotgun mounted to the carousel, and it'll kill them one by one unless William intervenes by pressing a button, which will stab him. <laughs> which that fucking sucks you know what I'm saying to save them you gotta get stabbed oh so yeah what would you what would you do I guess I could take the stab I'd be alright well I don't know yeah. do I like these people it depends hey, that's, I mean, if, that's what I'm thinking like, it depends on who's up there <laughs> if it was people in my work I might save one or two of them but, so yeah I guess that's about right but it depends where am I getting yeah. stabbed you know what I'm saying you're gonna stab me in the back. You're all dead. Fuck off. I say my friends, but not these <laughs> cocksuckers. Exactly, man. Fuck them. Anyway, so no matter what, here's the deal. Four will die, and I feel like it's the fog. Four will die, and he has to choose who's gonna die. So now he is deciding who lives and dies, just like Jigsaw said. So his team, I love these fucking scenes, dude. I think they're awesome. Where the the people are all fighting with each other. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. They're all fighting among each other, blaming each other. So one's saying she's pregnant. <laughs> They're all giving reasons <laughs> why they should live or die. And one's saying that, like, his family's loaded. And by the way, that was the dude from fucking Cosby family. Did you notice that? Was it really? Yeah, the black dude. That was Jamel or whatever the fuck his name was. Jamel, Jamal. Jamel, Marco Warner or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds like, yeah. Jamal, Marco so, Warner? I don't know. To make a long story short, he saves the two women, and the rest are killed by the shotgun. But what's great is the the last guy that gets killed by the shotgun, he's like, oh, well, that's it. You pussy-whipped motherfucker. (laughs) He's just going off on him. It's so great. Like, I love it. He's like, you look at me when you're going to kill me. You look me in the eyes when you're going to kill me. And he's like, oh, fuck. And then he gets blown away. And, you know, it was like a trust fund kid. But it was, it, I love those scenes. They're not all about violence and gore, but they're fucking cool. Um, you know, like I said, he saves the two women. The rest get killed by a shotgun. And so he gets the final key and, and proceeds along the final hallway. So, I mean, we're, we're hitting the uh, end run here now. So in the acid trap cells, the mother and son, they start to panic. Remember, there's a mother and son there. With hydrofluoric acid, we have no idea whether they're by the investigator. And the timer's running out, and they've yet to do anything. So they decide to flip the switch to the dismay of Pamela, who is the uh, reporter. She's able to view the entire game from herself from a television provided by Jigsaw. And the switch proves to do absolutely nothing. So at this time, Jill arrives in the game's control area. But Hoffman's not there. And, you know, she takes the remaining contents of the box and starts to put them in the room. You know, she puts a letter from Hoffman to Amanda on Hoffman's control desk. She hides, and Hoffman arrives. So at this time, the final seconds are counting down at the timer. And William arrives in the final door, and he finds himself in a newly revealed chamber between Pamela's acid cell and the family's acid cell. 
However, William appears to not recognize the family and instead turns to Pamela, who shares an emotional conversation where she, you know, she's she's trying to talk to him. The family begins to yell at him for it being his fault. Um, it's revealed that Pamela is, in fact, William's sister, and and this is the family he was trying, uh, and is the family he was trying to save. So basically, the guy that uh, had heart condition earlier, this is the, this is this guy's family, and the mother and the son, like I said. They've got this lawsuit against him because they, you know, basically they're blaming him for the wrongful death of their husband and and father. So you know, we've got a fucked up situation now. So it's revealed, you know, the true twist of the game. William had to make it there with Pamela as the lure, and the jigsaw tape activates for the mother and son, telling them that he was sorry for mistreating them. They were not being tested, but merely being held in a cell. And they now have the option to kill William in front of his family, just as William had denied their father or husband's claim and killed him in front of them. So basically, you've got a chance for these people to get revenge against the man who was responsible for their father's death in some way, shape, or form, you know? Yep. So Pamela and William are begging for mercy and forgiveness, and the mother, she she doesn't fucking give a shit. She's going to... She's going to go to the live and die switch, and she's going to kill him. Now active was William Trapp and saying this wasn't for revenge, but so that he could not do this to anybody else with his decisions. But she can't bring herself to do it. I don't think I could do that either, Vic. You know, like if somebody had directly killed somebody I know then, but in that situation, I couldn't kill somebody over that. What about you? Um, I would blame I mean, the system, not the man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, probably not. Probably not. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, even though she can't flip the switch, the son does. He's less squeamish. He fucking flips that switch. And the switch activates a wall of needles to swing down into William's chamber, injecting him with the acid from the vats. And it fucking dissolves him into a pile of bloody organs. Fucking nasty, Vic. You know what I mean? The biggest scumbag gets the worst death in this. It is gross, man. Fucking gross. I bet you they cut out some scenes from this, too, because they didn't show as much, you know what I mean, as you would expect them to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so meanwhile, Hoffman, he's arrived back at the scene of the game in the control room, and he sees the letter. He sits at his desk and reads it, and the contents are revealed. Amanda had been at Jill's clinic with Cecil, which is the fucking buck tooth guy that Jigsaw killed with the knives. He was his first victim the night he robbed it. And the night Jill had her miscarriage. So we've got a connection here with Amanda and Cecil from the clinic. So basically, Amanda was in some way responsible for the death of Jigsaw's kid, which is fucked. You know, the plot to rob the clinic was revealed to be at Amanda's uh, direction. And Hoffman knew so he threw, I don't know how he knew that. I wonder how the fuck he knew that. You know what I'm saying? I guess because he's a cop. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. Anyway. He fucking knows everything. Yeah, he's the man. Anyway, he threatened to you know reveal Amanda's involvement in the death of Jill and John's baby, a fact John neither was aware of, and, elect, and uh, the letter was actually blackmailing her to kill Dr. Lynn Dinlin or the secret would be out which was the chick from part three, the doctor. So Amanda was unaware that her game was to keep Lynn alive. So the game was sabotaged by Hoffman 
outside of Jigsaw's knowledge by this blackmail. So he's got a whole lot of fucking people working for themselves at this point. And Hoffman wanted to be the last man standing and therefore avoid being tested. However, a shock's delivered through the chair and he fucking falls unconscious. It's the same shock from the first one and maybe the second one. Either way, you know, it's the one where Jigsaw electrocutes Adam and Dr. Gordon with. It, that shit will take you down for a little bit. Well, Jill reveals herself in the control chamber, and she actually straps Hoffman to it with leather, leather traps, or straps, rather, and reveals the final content of the box, which is the fucking jaw splitter trap that Amanda had escaped from. And you're like, oh, fuck, man. It's the fucking jaw trap, the most famous jigsaw trap there is. Agreed? I mean, they had fuck this yeah. fucking... They, they had an Amanda character walking around at Halloween Horror Nights in this thing. It was awesome. I love it. So Jill, she places it on Hoffman, leaves his ass for dead to get revenge on him. And, you know, Jill reveals that the uh, sixth envelope was actually intended for Jill to to use regarding a sixth target, the other five being the targets of Williams' game. And the sixth target was Hoffman. And this is revealed to be the test Hoffman would not escape, which was stated on Jigsaw's stomach tape from the autopsy. So now we know what that was all about, finally. I mean, like three movies later. You know what I'm saying? So um, Jill, having been shown Hoffman's, you know, he's a treacherous motherfucker, with Pamela's letter, was now exacting Jigsaw's final will by testing Hoffman. However, she left him with no means of escape, no key to remove the headset. So this is basically murder at this point, right? Now, Hoffman, who's all by himself at this point, he, oh my God, he breaks his fucking hand by slamming the headset against his wrist and slips the broken hand through the leather restraint. That was nasty, Vic. That was fucking Fuck yeah, it was. It wasn't as bad as like a Detective Matthew smashing his foot, but it was still nasty, dude. Fucking gross. This fu- these fucking movies. Anyway, um, <laughs> so he uses free hand to release himself from the chair, and he tries to pry this, the headset off his head, but he can't. He then, at the last second, actually sends his head through a small window in a doorway, which catches the headset as it tries to crush his skull. It's a pretty fucking sweet way to get out. And it's now partially open, but he's still trapped. And so out of, you know, Hoffman, who's out of immediate danger, he rips the side of his cheek through the metal bit in his mouth and forces his head out of the partially removed headset. And that is fucking nasty. That's the nastiest <laughs> yeah. thing in this movie to me. His cheek getting... Oh, God damn, Vic. Yuck. Yeah, it was fucking bad. I'm like, it was, yeah, it was fucking bad. Yeah, it was fucking gross. And he throws it down to the ground, screaming, as he should having finally been tested, and he lived. Um, which, by the way, I remember him getting put in the headset at the theaters, and I'm like, this motherfucker's dead. But he got out. And so after the credits, you see Amanda walks to a door hole and says, don't trust the one who saves you uh, twice to Jeff Denton's daughter. And this may refer to uh, Hoffman. So that's how it ends, man. Uh, fucking, fucking Hoffman. He survives somehow. My lord. <laughs> That was nasty. Good lord. He, he was up bad, there with the nasty. He's the baddest man alive. He's like Aaron Williams. Yes. Yeah. No doubt about it, my friend. Well, 
this is my turn to pop open a drink and let you give some thoughts on this. Saw six, my friend. Saw six. Not a lot of series gets a fucking six entries, especially as one with uh, only one so far that's down to a two and a half. That was it. Saw six, saw six, saw six. What a man. I, I like... Fair enough. Are you still there, Philpot? All right. <laughs> Vic says, I like it. And then he leaves. That's sad. All right. So we'll let uh we'll let Vic call back in real quick. But uh in the meantime I guess I'll I'll talk a little bit about uh Saw Six uh until he comes back in. So uh Saw Six, I remember seeing it in theaters. I think this is one of the few that I remember seeing in theaters. I know I saw the other ones in theaters, but this is the one I actually remember seeing in theaters. Um, and Saw 6 is a fun fucking movie. I mean, I, I know by this point in the series, it's fucking, these flashbacks get annoying, and a lot of it's just unrealistic, and there's just so much going on that it's like, man, come on. You know, you get away from the whole premise of it a little bit. Plus, it's it's more, uh, a lot of it's just fucking, uh, I feel like a lot more innocent people are, are put in harm's way in these than they were in the original idea of the series. But, I mean, this is a good entry into the series. It's another good entry into the series. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can't get any lower than three, man. It's got to be three out of four machetes for me. Uh, It's just, you know, Saw 6, when you get six movies in, it's really hard to make a good movie, but they still managed to do it this far in. And I'm just impressed with the effort that they put forth in this whole series. They do a great job. And uh, to be able to put out at least decent quality movies this far in is pretty damn impressive. Um, You don't get that from a lot of series, like I said uh, earlier. So, Victor's back. Victor, you said, I like it. And then you left. (laughs) (laughs) I do like it. It's funny. You're like, that's (laughs) you dropped your mic. (laughs) That's awesome. Like, yeah. dude, I rambled for like 10 minutes or something, and now I realized... Well, goddamn, I had to ramble while you were gone. And I'll tell you, I gave it three in, three out of four machetes because I just apparently can't get below that other than Saw 3. Well, see, that's funny because I, I really like Saw 6. And it's, you probably didn't hear this part, but it's probably my, my favorite uh, sequel in the series outside of Part 2. I was going to say, you uh, can't go over Part 2, right? Yeah, yeah. Part... Part one and part two are their own thing. Like, it don't get no better than that. But Saw 6, mm-hmm. damn fuck. And I'm not going to repeat everything I already fucking said, <laughs> but the gore is great. The uh, opening scene is the best one out of the entire series, in my opinion. The grossest. The, the one I just want to fucking puke everywhere. <laughs> it's just fucking amazing, though, dude. Like, yeah, to me... Saw six is a three and a half out of four. Three and a half out of four for Saw six. Nice. We actually disagree for the first time. I actually just went with a with a three, which is obviously not bad. Uh, but yeah, three yeah. and a half for Vic. I have no problem with that. I don't know, man. I'm just kind of worn out by the flashbacks and everything by this point. Is really, I think, what my issue is. But it's a nice, well, yeah. it's fucking fun, I, such a good way that. to tie it all together. You know? Oh yeah. And I mean, like, Hoffman was a complete badass. Like, everything was just, 
the entire movie just like it's it's no, it's not perfect by any means. But it's no, close. no. I just it, like, like how it, they explain it, all the things I had questions about, like what happened to Perez. You know what I'm saying? They did it exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like just certain things, I'm like, and the fucking gore was top notch. Yeah, which is always it's always a bonus for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this is this is a good one. Um, you know, I, I got to say though, the insurance guy is like the main protagonist. I don't know, man. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't root for him as much as you do like Gordon and Adam. Cause, yeah. I mean, they may not be great people, but they're probably not as bad as this shit is. But they, he's still better than Jeff. I don't even really hate the guy. It's not so much about that. Like, I don't hate the guy. You know, I don't. It's yeah. just that you know his character. You're not supposed to like. Unlike Jeff, I just want to kill myself. Yeah, fuck Jeff. So. <laughs> fuck Jeff. We should start a campaign. Fuck Jeff. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to start that Facebook page tonight. You know, like that one is fuck Jerry, we're going to start fuck Jeff. Yes. Fuck Jeff. All... That's a good Facebook yeah. page. <laughs> I like it. I like it. What a bum. All right, well, yeah. Um... Yeah, I give it three out of four, man. It's good stuff. I like it. All right, so, Vic, I have not looked at Saul. Um, fuck, we're on Saul 7 now, okay? So I have not looked at Saul 7. Saul 5 was 5.8. Yeah, Saul 6 was 6.0. Saul 3D, the final chapter, that was 6.0. I'll go 6.0 again. I'll say it's even. What do you think? I'm going going 5.5. Ooh, dropped on you, huh? 5.6. 5.6. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> Good job. That yeah, one came uh, out. I know how these October, people think. October 29th, 2010 is when that movie came out. Uh, <laughs> has it only been seven years? Though? That's where I get weird about it. You know what I'm like? It yeah. feels like it's been 10 years since the last Saul movie, as much as I feel like it just kept going, you know? It's true, weird. true. But it's weird that, you know, the original came out, like, you know, for however long, 17 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, so it gets a 5.6 on IMDb. Is that the lowest fucking score of any of them? No, no, no. Yeah. One had 5.5, didn't it? No, uh, no. That's the lowest. Because the lowest right. before that were uh, 4 and 5 was for 5.9 and 5.8. The Saw, Saw Six get a gets a uh, or Saw Seven gets a five point six. Still not that low considering you know for these slasher movies. Or I know it's not slasher, but you know what I mean. If you look at some of them, they get shit on so hard. Um, even some of the classics get shit on. Yeah, so. I just say uh, once a horror movies reach to you know the fifth or four or fifth or sixth movie, then they're usually down in like the mid fours. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no shit. No shit. Well, okay, man. They really upped the budget in this one, Vic. This is the highest budget yet. Probably because of the 3D. That's what I was going to say. Oh, $20 yeah, million dollar budget. And they actually made $45 million. So they shot up like $18 million. That's good. You know what I mean? They made money at the last one. Now that tells you why seven years later we're going to get Jigsaw. I mean, but, you know, the bug went up $10 million or $9 million and they only brought in the extra $18 million, so that's still not, uh, still not great. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. so, no, it's not compared to the other ones. I mean, they were all getting like $60, $70, 80000000 million, so. Exactly, with like $5 million budgets. 
Yeah. So we're up to saw seven now, man. So and then jigsaw will be saw eight. I mean, if we're just counting films. By the way, I didn't really mention this in the last one. Let me go ahead. Saw six was directed by Kevin Grudert, written by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. This one directed by Kevin Grudert again, written by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan. So we've got the same people back again uh, for Saw 6 and 7. Uh, I think at this point, Lee Wannell and James Wan are just like, yeah, we're here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're like, we're here. That's about it. We're not doing shit on it, though. <laughs> like, they're like, this is your fucking problem at this point. We're done with it. So, But, you know, you got you got a great great little crew here, and uh, let's see here. This will be the one that we talk about now. So Saw 7, here we go. This movie opens up with a glass cage, which uh, contents is in full view of confused onlookers. You know, like, it's like a fucking, like, department store window? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like to me. They called it a glass cage, but I think it looks like department store window. And it's got two men who apparently know each other. They wake up chained to uh, either end of a table uh, saw inside the cage. So there's a saw in front of them. They're chained to each other. And suddenly a woman's unveiled, suspended above the two men. And the puppet, Billy, rides in on a trike and says that each has to decide whether the other man will die. So that the woman has been dating both guys will live or choose not to kill each other and let the woman die. You know, so one guy starts to push the saw to the other end, and the other guy starts pushing back. And the uh, woman tells one man that she loves him, and, you know, the the other guy starts getting pissed off, and he starts winning. So then she tells him, you know, the guy that's about to win, that she loves him, but he doesn't believe her after that bullshit she just pulled. And said that you just loved the other guy a minute ago. And so eventually they just say, fuck it. And they're just like, you know what? Fuck her. I think we're breaking up with you. And they agree to let her die. And she fucking gets sawed in half, spewing blood out of her mouth as her intestines spill on the floor. Well, she's uh, also up there with the most unlikables, right? She got what she had coming to her, fucking slut. (laughs) Yes, yes, fuck her. I liked it, man. You got to see intestines everywhere. It was pretty sweet in 3D, Vic. I'm sure it was. So, Detective Mark Hoffman, the man, I mean, at this point, he's as recognizable in the series as Jigsaw. I mean, fucking technically, he is Jigsaw at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's been, what, what, since part four? Part three. Part three, yeah. I mean, he at least, he was partially in part three, not as much, you know, but he was in part three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he started in part three, man. He's up there. He's had more movies than Amanda, I think. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Or, or right on par with her. And he's definitely had more screen time. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, we get the whole thing where he escapes from a trap, which was attached to his head. And he just misses a hiding Jill Tuck, who is actually, you know, hiding in the background here because she noticed he didn't die. And instead, he focuses on stitching himself up. Because his fucking cheek is nasty. It is gross. So this motherfucker is a badass. He stitches himself up. Because he's kind of fucked at this point. You know what I mean? So he's kind of kind of be undercover. So his Jigsaw's ex-wife, and with enough familiarity of uh, Hoffman's character, Jill knows that Hoffman's not going to give up on, on her. He's going to fucking kill that bitch if he can get a hold of her. 
So she starts making her own arrangements. She heads to the police and requests a detective that is uh, not previously involved in the Jigsaw case. His name is Gibson, played by Chad Donala, who reminds me of Ryan Gosling, by the way. Do you notice this guy looks familiar? He's a bum, but he looks familiar to me. Oh, yeah. Anyway, she tells them that she has important information on, uh, and evidence that she'll only give up if she gets immunity. And so Gibson apparently agrees to it because she's got important information. Well, Bobby Deegan is now uh, on screen. This is Sean Patrick Flannery, who, by the way, I think Vic is uh, in the movie Boondock Saints. This is the one that everybody jocks him and Daryl Dixon. Yeah. Hey, you bum. I yeah, know the name. Bums. Sorry, I, sorry, I was outside pissing in the driveway. Sorry Good for you. I'll do that a little bit. <laughs> I couldn't talk. So, so this guy, this guy's a survivor of Jigsaw or John Tobin Bell, and he's <clears throat> written a self-help book called Survive, which is like an anagram, S-U-R-V-I-V-E, which is based on his experience of escaping a jigsaw trap. He pierced his pectoral muscles with hooks, which is funny because I don't remember seeing this guy ever, which we'll get back to that, and hoist himself into the air in order to escape. And he's being interviewed, uh, and with him are his best friend, Kale, his lawyer, Suzanne, his public relations woman, and his wife. And he and his handlers argue about how well the interview went. Nina wanted to mention his wife so Joyce could come out on stage and he could kiss her. But Kale, Suzanne, and Joyce think it all went well. So this is all that bullshit publicity work that this guy's doing basically as a jigsaw survivor. Well, now we go to an abandoned junkyard and we get white supremacists, Vic. Because <laughs> why not? Why might, We might as well look through <laughs> some white supremacists while we're at it in this series. You know what I'm saying? I wish we could yeah, get black painters yeah, and jigsaw. I sure hope so. Maybe we'll get the Black Lives Matter people in Jigsaw. That'd be sweet. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would. Uh, sorry for people who are racist. We're not. Anyway, <clears throat> the driver <laughs> is actually... <laughs> yeah, at least we can joke around, you fucking bums. Anyway, so the driver's glued to the driver's seat. And this guy, like I said, he's a fucking skinhead. And the girlfriend's chained under the car with barbed wire... And his friend's bound in front of the car. And this is another cool trap, Vic, kind of like the carousel. You know what I'm saying? It's not about violence so much as it is just, mm, it is a fucking spectacle, you know? Yeah, pretty much. So uh, he's got another friend fastened to the back of the car, chains attached to his limbs and jaw. And a tape plays and says that the driver and his friends are racist and they've judged people by the color of their skin. Now he's going to learn that everyone is the same color on the inside. And that's what I always said about chicks to fuck. It's all pink on the inside, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a true story. True story. Doesn't matter if they're yellow, black, pink, or, or red. I don't know, something like that. It's all pink on the inside. Anyway, <laughs> So this guy has 30 seconds to rip himself from the seat so he can pull a lever that will deactivate the trap. This motherfucker is glued to the seat. And it is gross. You know what I'm saying? It is gross because he's shirtless. And uh, otherwise, the car is going to fall off the jacks, crush his girlfriend, cause a chain reaction, which will kill him and the others. So he tries to rip himself free and reach. And he gets close, but ultimately he's unsuccessful. The the car falls on the girlfriend. (laughs) And it's, her face just explodes. It's fucking great. 
and then it goes forward and rips part uh, of the friend uh, part of the friend in the rear smashes through the man in front. The car crashes into a pile of other wrecked cars. The driver's thrown through the window. The skin on his back torn completely off. And you know the, you can tell this is a Hoffman one because Hoffman at the heart of it all he wants to kill criminals and that's basically what these guys are. You know what I mean? Even though Hoffman will kill people if he has to, he doesn't he, he doesn't like the people that are you know he was a cop even if he is doing bad things. <laughs> Yeah, uh, from what I hear, most anyway. Yep, exactly. Well, <laughs> we go back to Bobby now. Bobby's hosting a gathering of jigsaw survivors, and some agree that the traffic sca- trap experience helped them, but others thought the experience left them even worse off, like the black chick from the last one. So Bobby gives a little pep talk meant to inspire and bring optimism. You know, the pep talks actually countered by a sarcastic clapping of a mysterious man who, indis- who indirectly questions the usefulness of the meetings and hence that it's no more than promotional material for Bobby's fame. And at the end of the meeting, Kale asks Bobby who the creepy guy at the meeting with the cane is. Bobby reveals that the man's, man is at the meetings all the time, but he's harmless and there's nothing to worry about. He's been there longer than him. And, of course, we know who the man is, don't we? Me. Good old Dr. Gordon's back, finally. It only took him six fucking movies to come back. Jesus. I mean, that is the whole thing about the series. Whatever happened to him, we never find out until now. So Joyce and a bodyguard uh, heads to the car, but when Bobby goes out to join them, he finds the car empty. And without a warning, he gets the attack that they always get whenever they get fucking, you know, put to sleep. When he wakes up, he's in a cage, just like many of these motherfuckers. Well, the puppet Billy appears on a TV screen and tells Bobby that they both know the story of being a jigsaw survivor is bullshit. And now he must earn that status by completing a series of tasks to get to his wife, who is chained in an unknown location. First, he has to pull a handle, which causes the bottom of the cage he's in to drop off and he's suspended from the cage over a small square of sharp objects sticking out of the floor. He swings his legs to get the cage clear of them, and he jumps. And he follows signs written in red, which apparently contain drivel bullshit from his book. And he and his handlers are in the game. First, you've got Nina, who actually jigsaw charges as someone who continues to spread lies. She has, oh, man, Vic, this is the one, dude. This is the one. I don't know. This one disturbs me really bad. Really bad. <laughs> She's the one that has the fucking fish hook jammed, jammed down her throat and is tied up in a contraption. And screws in the contraption are all aimed at her neck and hooked to a second, you know, measure. Jigsaw explains the device uh, measures the decibel level in the room. And if it exceeds a whisper, the screws will advance and impale her in the neck. So there's also a timer that will set off the screws unless she's unlocked from the contraption. But the key's in Nina's stomach. So (laughs) this is fucking gross, man. Uh, Bobby must pull out the fish hook to retrieve it. You know, Vic, have I ever told you I have like a weird fear of fish hooks? Yes, actually you have. It's like I'm, I'm terrified of getting fish hooked. Can you imagine this fucking thing's going up your gullet? Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's like the drowning <laughs> thing for you with added blood, you know? Yes. Uh... Yuck. This is fucking nasty and original, too. So, anyway, 
when he pulls out this fish hook, she can't resist screaming in pain as Bobby tries to pull out the hook, and it splatters them both in blood. By the time he gets the hook out, she's screaming loudly in pain, and the screws impale her, and she fucking dies. And he's like, he's like, God damn it, why couldn't you just stay quiet? So she's dead. And I have to tell you, Vic, that is fucking nasty. Again, let me just reiterate, nasty. Nasty. Yeah. Yuck. So next is uh, Susanna, who Jigsaw charges as someone who not only speaks lies, but knowingly looks away from the truth. She's in a trap which will impale her in the eyes and mouth unless Bobby stands in a different machine and pushes a huge amount of weight up. He tries hard, but the uh, the contraption actually stabs him while he's lifting the weight. Uh, he's not able to handle the pain or hold up the weight for the required 30 seconds, and the lawyer is fucking dead. So now he's hurt, and Bobby slowly makes his way to the next room where he finds a copy of his own book with his signature. And the book, the book is missing its jacket cover, and Bobby finally gets a hint of Jigsaw's identity. So not long after Bobby had published his book, he held a book signing, which I would have liked to have gone to, just so he could sign mine. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and Jigsaw, too, just why he was there. We're fans, you know, they're talking about their inspirational change that he brought on their lives. And, you know, a guy identifying himself as John, doesn't matter if there's an H or not. By the way, I just have to tell you, every time Jigsaw talks to somebody, John Kramer, I just think about how awesome he is. Anytime he does it, he's intimidating and the dude is old. How does that work? Um, I wish I could answer that. He's just awesome. His voice is fucking one of a kind. But anyway, uh, he calls himself John and asks about the role, uh, about that role. And Bobby claims to be spreading a good message, but John basically says that lying on public record is never justified. So he takes the signed book, but removes the jacket cover, says he doesn't need it uh, because he knows what he looks like. He's met him. Uh, and the flashback ends, and Bobby, you know, realizes that he had actually met Jigsaw. He goes on to the next room. Well, the third and final obstacle is Bobby's friend, Kale. And he's on the other side of the room, and he's blindfolded. And the room doesn't have a fucking floor to it, and it only has a few planks to, you know, grant its occupant's movement. If they fall off the planks, it could kill them because you just hang. Uh, Hanging in the middle of the room is a key. And the two men must meet halfway across the room so the key can unlock Kale's device because if time runs out, Kale will be hanged. Well, Bobby has to guide the uh, blindfolded Kale across the planks while he himself has to actually get the key. So he talks Kale to a pretty close spot, grabs the key, tells Kale to keep his hands close to his body, counts to three, he throws the key, and it lands in Kale's hands. But Kale's butterfingers like Des Bryant, and this fucking thing bounces off of it, falls to the floor. And there's a split second of horror before Kale's hauled up and dies by hanging. So this dude, if he didn't have butterfingers, he might not have died. You know what I'm saying? So sucks to be him. <laughs> so, yeah, sucks to be a dummy. We get back to the Hoffman ideas, or, or Gibson here. The de- detectives are still busy investigating the junkyard where there's an explosion. And Gibson orders everyone back until the bomb squad has combed the area for any more explosives. And during that time, Hoffman sends an email to Gibson, video footage of himself demanding for Jill and vague clues pointing to the new game's location. A female cop traces the email to the junkyard while Gibson figures out where the game is being played and sends in a SWAT team. So back to the game. Joyce's chain has been gradually shortening, pulling her down to the ground. 
Bobby and Joyce finally see each other and interact before Billy returns. And Billy says that changing Bobby would be akin to pulling teeth. And Billy, I mean Billy the puppet. Which is precisely what Bobby must do to reach his wife. Vic, do I even need to comment on this? Um, yep, I love it. This motherfucker has to pull two of his own teeth, which has been etched <laughs> with the access code for a lock on the door. This time there's no hesitation. Despite screaming and bleeding, Bobby works on pulling his teeth out. Vic, I'm disgusted by this, but not as much as you might think. I think I was still horrified by the um, fish hook thing. And I'm disgusted by the teeth. But it's not as fucking, I don't know. It's not as nasty as the other one for some reason. It's fucking gross, though. Fuck that shit. Yeah, I couldn't pull my own teeth. I'm just saying. This dude running into walls and shit, fuck that. Pondo did. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's fucking crazy. (laughs) So he also got a pencil in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, fuck that. At this time, the SWAT team arrives to the building following Bobby's trail, and they're coming across the dead bodies. They hear Bobby screaming and tries to save the one survivor but fall into a trap where they're subsequently gassed to death. <laughs> fucking Hoffman just fucking offing everybody. I wonder what his kill count is at this point. It's got to be fucking high, you know? Yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, I don't know. So Bobby pulls out his own teeth. He puts in the code and he's finally in the same room as his wife but she's surrounded by electric wires and to save his wife, the prize and trophy of his lies, Bobby must do what he falsely claimed to do in the book impale his pectoral muscles with hooks, hoist himself high in the air and connect two three-pronged electrical cables. His wife asks what this is about and he admits that he was not a jigsaw survivor so he's only got four minutes left and he impales himself and he starts hoisting. Bobby's able to haul himself up high enough, and he gets one plug in his hand, but as he's reaching for the second plug, the the hooks rip through his skin and muscle. Oh, God damn it, Vic. More nastiness. He yeah, falls fuck that. Yeah, he falls under the floor and time runs out. A metal chamber shaped like a pig closes around Joyce, and she quickly burns to death in front of Bobby. And this is what I mean by, like, um... Innocent people? What did Joyce ever do to anybody? What did she do to anybody? I can't imagine, um, like, Jigsaw letting her die. Seems like it would be tweaked by Hoffman because he's an asshole. She's an innocent. She, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just it seems strange. Like, the, the game has evolved at some point, probably because of Hoffman. So, back to Jill now. She's in protective custody. And at the junkyard, Gibson finds Hoffman's control room and discovers a body, and the body is one of the victims of the junkyard trap, and he realizes that Hoffman had been present during that investigation. He also recognizes the computer screens as monitors tapped into the police security system, and Hoffman's been watching them the whole time. And as Gibson realizes this, a machine gun pops up, fucking sweet. It pops up from behind the desk, and it does a 360 while it's firing bullets. (laughs) This is fucking great. And it kills Gibson and the cops, and uh, he had explained his uh, realizations, too. So, like I said, Hoffman, it gets a little unrealistic at this point, but I love how Hoffman's just mowing everybody down. It's fucking great. So, back at the police station, when a morgue tech, uh, and I love this, this is some Michael Myers shit, opens a body bag, Hoffman springs up and stabs him in the neck. It's fucking great, man. Hoffman's just going nuts. 
Hoffman's a bad uh, motherfucker. He is, dude. So Hoffman breezes through security, kills all the cops on his way, and gets to Jill's cell. I mean, Hoffman's just a fucking... He's Rambo. And, you know, she stabs Hoffman in the neck. And after realizing the place is locked, she hides. And this time Hoffman finds her, and in the struggle, he bangs her head on the table three times to knock her out. He fucks her up. And this time, Vic, he ties her ass to a chair, puts the original reverse bear trap on her head, setting the timer, and she has no fucking escape. After 45 seconds, it rips her jaw open and kills her. Vic, did we actually get to see anybody die in a jaw trap in this whole thing until now? Nope, I'm pretty sure this is the first one. Which is crazy, you know. That's the end of Jill. She lasted a while, too, Vic. Like, since part three or so? Yeah, part three, two? Three, four, five movies? She's been, wire- she's been three, around a while. She's been around since it was Hoffman, I guess. Yeah, so Hoffman, he walks out of this fucking place unchallenged because he killed everybody. He returns to the hideout. He puts together all of his money and some forged ID papers before setting the place on fire, destroying all of the remaining jigsaw equipment. Hoffman's going to go free, isn't he, Vic? Nope. As he walks out to his car, three figures in pig masks incap- incapacitate him. And the rig- ringleader turns out to be the mysterious man with the cane. The same man in those jigsaw survivor meetings finally revealed to be Dr. Gordon, Carrie Elwes. Uh, fuck you, Carrie Elwes. But anyway, he takes yeah. Hoffman to the bathroom from the first movie, and he chains him there. And it's revealed that after amputating his foot and cauterizing the stump on the hot pipe so that he wouldn't bleed to death, Jigsaw nursed him back to health and rewarded him for winning his game by making him another apprentice. Dr. Gordon was, in fact, Jigsaw's most trusted apprentice assisting with the medical aspects of the traps. Dr. Gordon was also entrusted with Jigsaw's last wish, wish to watch over and protect Jill. And if she's murdered, to see that her killer faces justice, Dr. Gordon takes the hacksaw away at the last moment before closing the door, preventing Hoffman from escaping the same way he did, leaving him to die. And as he seals Hoffman inside what will become his tomb, Dr. Gordon tells him, game over. And that's it for the first seven Saul movies. Kind of, um, well, I'll get into it in a minute. I'll drink while Vic talks. Feel free, sir. No. Give your thoughts. Saw 3D, the final chapter, part seven. Man, I bet this movie was so much better watching in theater in 3D because I hate watching 3D movies not in 3D because, like, all the gore is cheesy. Like, you know, it's like shooting in your face or what it would be in your face. But I can't see it because I don't have three glasses and it pisses me off. That's how I felt watching. That's how I felt watching this movie. I I I, I like the movie, but I just thought like some of the kills and gore were like over the top cheesy because it was made for three D and it pissed me off. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, you know, what I'm saying that's like really my only gripe about it. Uh, but it's a big gripe to me. Um, but it's still better than part three. I still, I give it a three out of four. It, it's at the low end of the spectrum, but it's there. It's three out of four, I mean. But I think if I would have saw it in 3D, I'd probably, probably, probably give it a three and a half. Because I love, I love 3D, you know that. 
Yeah, I know you do, but I felt like at the time they're just doing everything unnecessarily in 3D. I'm I'm glad that shit's kind of gone by the wayside. I mean, yeah, I don't mind yeah, they're 3D. Putting, they're, they're putting everything out in 3D. It was fucking annoying. It but, was. Uh, talk, talk about this movie. Um, I mean, the big thing about this movie is Dr. Gordon comes back. We get possibly the death of Hoffman. We don't know for sure. I mean, he may have survived. Matthews did, at least for a time. Uh, we get the death of Jill. I mean, this is the end until now, seven years later. But, I mean, this is the end of the original series, if you, you can call it that. But we kind of got a reboot, not a remake. I'm not calling it that. A new sequel coming. And uh, so I'm pretty excited about it. But, you know, Vic, I kept talking about how there's some unrealistic shit in this movie, these movies. And I think this one's the worst of all. I just can't buy that Hoffman would just all of a sudden come over. A dude had to cut his own foot off. He'd be like the black chick. He'd be like, motherfucker, I'm going to kill you when I get a chance, you know? So th- that's unbelievable. Okay. It just is. I mean, I-, I love the fact that Hoffman comes back and everything, and it's sweet that he's, like, you know, being that way. But when I use my brain, which I shouldn't do during a movie like this, it just makes me think, <laughs> really? It does, though. It just makes me think, really, really? But that said, I give it a three. <laughs> I give it three out of four machetes. I mean, again, I give part six three. I give part five three. I give part four three. I give part three two and a half. I give part two three and a half. Uh, I might give it four. No, I think I give it three yeah. and a half. I think and I, I think give it first one four. Well, these movies are great. I mean, that that this may be the best series. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know that's crazy I, I, to I think about. The same thing, man. When you when you look at there's not a stinker among the bunch. Even part three isn't awful. You know what I mean? Because no, every it, fucking it, series has yeah. a stinker, except for Scream, and that's only four four movies deep. So yeah, well, I mean, even three is kind of you know it's probably about like all three. Yeah, exactly. But there's only four movies in that. This has been seven movies. Yeah, Which man, is just insane. Like they they almost got a whole baseball team and every one of them sitting out of the park. Yeah. I mean look, I don't know what you're looking for with these Saw movies. Me personally, I just want a bunch of gore and cool traps and jigsaw and some Hoffman and a little bit of Amanda sprinkled in for me and I'm happy. And and I love I mean, it. I, some of the some of the things I love in life are um, uh, games. I like I like playing games. I like game shows. I like gore. <laughs> I like I like torture. I like porn. I'm not really. I like making porn more so than actually watching porn. But I like torture yeah. porn. I don't make that. I watch that. And like you got it all together, man. And this series, like, I can't wait for Jigsaw on Thursday, man. I'm Watch them all. You know what I'm saying? So I'm kind of hyped up for it way more than I was for a death date or anything like that. So, which means it'll probably got, suck. Yeah, so I kind of got the it hype going for it, man. I don't want the it hype. It lived up Speaking to of, it. I don't know. Ugh. Speaking of everybody, I went and watched uh, it for the second time today. So now Vic and I have both seen it twice. I enjoyed it greatly. Uh, still, I give it a three point seven five out of four. I think originally I gave it three and a half. I just can't quite go full four, but I'm pretty damn close. It was really good, really fucking good, you know, really fucking good. Yeah, man, like 
I, I don't know if they could have any, did anything better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I just don't know. I think I think part of it for me is that it was one of those stories about kids. And it, for some reason, I just can't ever, like, totally get to the point where I can give a movie like that four machetes. Because I compare it to some of the other movies that I'd give four machetes, you know? Because whenever we first talked about it uh, on here, we both gave it a 3.5. And you asked the question, what what could they have did to make it better to give it a 4.0? And me and you had the same answer. Like, I don't think they could. I think it was going to be a 3.5 at the highest, no matter what. That's just kind of what it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And let, let me go ahead and get into some other things I've been watching. I watched Gerald's Game on Netflix Fix since we're talking about Stephen King right now. And I'm sitting here wearing a Pennywise shirt. i just let you know I watched Gerald's Game. And it was also a 3.75. It's fucking great, man. I, I've read the book and I love the movie. Good shit, Netflix. Keep it coming, man. It, I loved it. I, it, it was one of those movies... Okay, so the book's about one person in a room basically the whole time, but somehow they make it interesting. The movie does the same thing, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, Gerald's Game's awesome. Check it out on Netflix if you have not yet. Uh, next up... I watched 1922, another Stephen King movie, uh, you know, based on a novel, uh, novella. How do you pronounce those? Novella? <laughs> N-O-V-E-L-L-A. Novella? I, 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 I say novella. I say novella. I don't know if it's, if it's uh, any other way. We need Blake on here to tell us, but I say novella. <laughs> well, it was, it was awesome. Uh, but, but, I think it was kind of predictable. Because it was just like, and I'm not giving anything away. Man kills his wife. Wife haunts the house. That's what the movie's about. You know? And it's just like, you kind of knew it was coming all the way through, just about. But it was fucking creepy as hell at times. Like, I mean, this is in the previews, by the way. I'm not giving anything away about this movie. So if you haven't seen it yet, I didn't give anything away. It's all in the previews. Um, so I really, I really dug it. Um, but like I said, three and a half out of four for that one. Kind of a low three and a half out of four. It didn't make a big impact on me, even though it's creepy. What was that? Nineteen twenty-two. Yeah, nineteen twenty-two. Also on Netflix. Gotcha. All right, Vic. I got to involve you now. Happy Death Day. You want to talk about it first? Um, sure, man. Um, I went into this movie with zero expectations. Um, we saw the preview yeah, for the movie we being released at the theater. Who the fuck can expect anything? You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, we we saw it whenever um, whenever we went to watch it the first time. We saw the previews for it, and we both looked at each other like, we we might go watch that one day. We we might see that. You know what I'm saying? I'd see it, but only on like the five dollar you know ticket price day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, movie pass come. Movie pass is awesome. So we go ever. see this movie, and like I said, I had no expectations. Uh, it's a PG thirteen horror movie. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's like a horror version of, uh, uh, Groundhog Day. It's also kind of like, you know, a little butterfly effect going on with it. I like it a lot, man. Um, 
I didn't hate any of the characters like the the main chick. I thought she was pretty awesome. Uh, the the dude that she was with, like he was just fucking weird. Like everything that ended up playing out, like I I thought it was pretty fucking cool. Um, and to top it all off, you fucking you know solved the mystery. I'm sure you're gonna talk about it because I know you want to. <laughs> but uh, oh, I can't talk too deep about it. I don't want to spoil it. I'm just yeah, proud no, that I solved the mystery. But yeah, you're you're gonna pat yourself on the shoulder for solving because that's impressive. I can't ever fucking solve them, dude. I can't ever. Oh. I fucking suck, man. You think for somebody who's been through criminal law classes and like I have that type of mind, you think I would do better at it? But I just get sucked up into movies, you know. And I'm and not so I, much trying to solve a mystery, but I, I noticed something about the way they directed this one, and I I was like, you motherfuckers, I caught that, and then I was right. Yeah, so. Whenever you first, like, you first said it, like, right before I just saw, like, a fucking light bulb turn on in your, in your head, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I got it. But, yeah, man, I, I, I really like it. I give it a three and a half out of four. That might be high, but yeah. I like it. I need to see it again. Yeah, I'd give it three out of four. I'd watch it again. Um, It was just, there were no tits or gore. So it would have been higher if it had that. And and I know it wasn't about that. I get that. It was a cool concept, and it was a fun movie. But, I mean, it could have gotten even better if you would have given me a little bit of that. That's all I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to have a flasher, which basically this is. You got the chick walking around town naked. You you can at least get get some type of tit shot. You know what I'm saying? You could have at least given us a body double. That's all I'm saying. That's better than nothing. Yeah, you got to come up off something. Happy Death Day was good shit. I think everybody should check it out. You don't necessarily have to see it at the theaters, but I do recommend seeing it. So I'll leave it at that. I mean, I wouldn't go for $8 Yes, if you have Movie Pass, you definitely should see it. One movie that you can skip on Movie Pass is The Snowman. Um, I, I, I talked about this in our 31 Days of Horror group pick, and you can call this horror or not. It's another movie that's a murder mystery about somebody fucking with the cops. And, you know, I love that because I'm a Zodiac and Jack the Ripper guy, you know? So it's a great concept. It was just kind of boring, and it was in Norway, and Michael Fassbender had nothing to work with, and I only give it two out of four machetes. It was disappointing. I didn't expect it to be great because I saw what it got on IMDb, you know? And sometimes they are right about these movies, especially a more mainstream movie. But uh, it just, no, it just wasn't that good. I've seen it a million times before, and it didn't give me anything new, and I could never watch it again, and I wouldn't care. You know, it just it wasn't terrible. It just, it wasn't worth a damn. But, you know, thank God for Movie Pass. Yes, yes. Thank you, baby Jesus. Thank you, baby Jesus. And also, thank you, baby Jesus, that uh, we're, we're, like, how far away are we? Like 12 days away from Whorehound? Oh, man. Yeah, something like that. Maybe a little less. I'm excited. We're going to be going to Horror Hound in Columbus. I know we talk about it every night, every week, but uh, I'm pretty excited um, uh, about, you know, uh, Horror Hound Columbus. Uh, my wallet's not, but the good thing is, Vic, I have this for you. Assuming this chick overnights my check that she's supposed to, I'm probably going to make gold somehow. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. I'm, 
I'm stunned myself. I don't, I don't know what to think about it. I'm blown away if they if they do what they're supposed to do. Um, I don't see it on the FedEx tracking, so I'm or tracking, so I'm freaked out a little bit. It may not have been picked up today. It may be picked up tomorrow. Either way, though, I've got till Halloween. And you know, if there's one thing I have on my side, it's the luck of October. So we'll see. This is true. This is true, my friend. I'm trying to think what else I've watched. I know you're not a big fan of me doing this, but I've been watching the Exorcist series. It's still awesome. I, I love it. Uh, that's about it. I've got a lot of other horror movies I need to watch. I talked about It Follows last week, so I don't have anything else to say on that one. Um, yeah, just uh, I got a few movies that I need to watch. I know that much, you know? So here's what's on my Netflix watch list right now that I'm going to try to get to before the end of Halloween, which is going to be hard considering I've only watched like one Halloween movie this October. I mean, as in the series, Vic? Yeah. So I've got The Babysitter, which is about the chick who's in a cult. (laughs) I've got Cube. I've got The Bad Batch. Boys in the Trees. uh, House on Willow Street. Patchwork and Mindhunter, which is that TV show with Edmund Kemper. Yes, that's what I need to see. Yes. So I've got a few that I need to watch and and check them out and see how good they are. You know, if I miss a couple, it's not a big deal because I still got to get to the classics. I've watched Trick or Treat only once this October, which is sad. I've watched Halloween about one and a half times this October. I've watched Nightmare Before Christmas more times than I can count. I watched Hocus Pocus a couple times. Yeah, I know. Boom. You can do it all you want. I'm good with it. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I haven't watched Night of the Demons at all, which that's a Halloween staple, is it not? That tells you how busy I've been. Even if I haven't been busy, I've made myself busy. So I don't know. I watched Pet Cemetery. Most that's always it. a good thing. I love Pet Cemetery. I'm good, good with them remaking it, though, if they want to. It's fine. You know, it won't be as good, I don't think, but we'll see. I don't think it's the type of movie that you can say, you know, you ruined it. Eh, who gives a shit? <laughs> so. Simple as that. Um, Vic, you watched anything beyond uh, what I've watched, obviously? Uh, yeah, I've watched 31, finally. Okay, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. What do you think of it, man? Talk to me. Um, I, I liked it, man. Like, See, I, I, I put it it's not terrible, is it? No, man, like, because obviously I love Rob Zombie. Like, I'd probably say it's his, his fourth best movie after Devil's uh, House and the, and the Halloween remake. Yeah, I mean, it's not much worse than House, and it's about on par with Halloween 2 to me. Yeah, but, yeah it's slightly above Halloween 2 for me. I mean, because you, you know how much I like that movie. But yep. yeah, man, like it was fun, man. Like it, cool and it was such a, it was, it was a very cool concept, and it was such a good bounce back from that piece of shit, uh, Lords of Salem. <laughs> I can't believe like, there are people out there that still like that movie, and, and they like yeah, that movie, and they don't like the good movies in the fucking Rob Zombie uh, vault. We'll say. Yeah, like, I don't get it, man. Pe- people like that should, probably shouldn't be breathing. No, they really shouldn't. Lords of Salem's a terrible movie, and people just need to learn to accept that and move on. 
Dude, but yeah, man, like, I, I'd probably give it a three out of four. Like, I really do, yeah. man. I'd watch it again. Oh, I would, too. I think I need to watch it again, to be honest with you. I feel like I didn't catch enough the first time around. Like, I feel like there was a lot of shit going on in this one. Yeah, Not that it was, like, I, a I wish smart I could movie. I watched it more, but, well, yeah. It, it did suffer from one thing that a lot of movies these days suffer from. It did the dark thing. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. God, I hate that. Yeah. Rob Zombie's one of the worst with that shit, too. He did it in Halloween, also. Yeah, I don't know. Like, as much as I love him, there's a few things that, yeah. At least he's putting his wife in every movie, though. Yeah. Was she in this? Uh, was she not in this? I don't one? recall her. I don't recall her being in this one. Maybe she was, but I don't recall. Oh, no, she maybe might she not. Was one of the people trying to survive. I can't remember. I don't recall. I, I thought I remember seeing her. Maybe not. I'm gonna look it up now. Me too. Uh, no, she's, she's, she's Charlie. She's Charlie in this movie. Malcolm McDowell's in it too, stealing money again. That's what he does. That's what he does. There are some cool characters in the movie. The random midget was kind of funny. Yeah, man. Like the 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 whore at the uh, gas station. You know what I'm saying? The the old the fucking dude with the porn stash is about to like fuck her in front of everybody. I loved it. <laughs> I like the guy who's basically a hitman. Yeah, like it's, uh, it's it's fun, man. It was fun. It was. I don't know why people hate on it so bad. I, I just uh, like, I don't get it. Motherfuckers just want to hate on everything. It gets a five point oh on IMDb, and Lord of Salem gets a five point one. See, that's just like. Fuck. I'm about to burn IMDb down. You know what the lowest Rob Zombie movie is? I bet you can guess, because it gets the most shit. Halloween 2? Yep, 4.9. That's crazy. The remake only gets a 6.1, and to me, that's Damn. pretty low. It should get yeah, a yeah. That's just people hating because it's a fucking remake of a classic. Well, like I always say, that's not Michael Myers, but that's still a hell of a slasher. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I fucking loved him. I loved that Michael Myers big beast. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's not what I think of as Michael Myers, but I still love the fucking movie. I, I just don't like that. I feel like people just can't separate things like we can. That's why we love Halloween 3. And really, that's the movie that I feel most remorse that I haven't watched this uh, October yet. Halloween yeah. 3? Yeah, you should, man. So, uh, next week, everybody, if you didn't know yet, now you know. Because what we're going to tell you is, next week's Halloween. And while you might think the Louisville Town drunks would take the week off, because we will be drunk, we're going to be drinking a little bit of cider and Malibu rum, I believe. Vic, Victor, I'm going to make some. Some that cocktail. Sounds, that, sounds awesome. that sounds awesome. If you want to, you can pass out in my basement, and I'll even give you a blanket. <laughs> yay, yay. There's blankets all over the place down here. Anyway, so uh, what I was going <laughs> to say is um, we're going to be telling some true stories of Halloween. And I'm not talking about, oh, I saw a ghost type shit. I'm talking about balls to the wall, horrific incidents that occurred on or around Halloween or that were associated with Halloween. You're going to love it. Get your storybooks ready. Get your drink ready. We're going to tell some stories on Halloween. 
and it's going to be real life horror right here on Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures, the main event of October, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too, man. I, I ain't even seen these stories you got, but I'm excited to listen to them. Well, I will spoil one thing. Ronald O'Brien is one of the stories. How could you cut that out? He is the man who yeah, almost killed Halloween. And he is the man who killed Halloween. I mean, this is the guy that created the whole bullshit about checking your fucking candy, you know, for razor blades yep. and all that bullshit. And for razor good blades and candy bars. Now, granted, I'm not going to sit here and say that there weren't other incidents, but certainly not as publicized as his. So we'll certainly get into his story, but there's going to be some other ones as well. Maybe you don't know him that well, uh, and we'll do our best as your uh, fearless host to, uh, you know, tell you some stories, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, Vic, on the other hand, uh, went to a party over the weekend. My wife was kind enough to do his makeup. Maybe he'd like to tell you about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh uh, I, gra- I grabbed up uh, Miss Blake and dressed her up as baby. I dressed up as uh, Captain Spaulding. I got the makeup from from your wonderful wife. We went to a nice little Halloween party out in the hills. Um, and Isla was checking on you the whole time to make sure you're okay. Oh, yeah. I- Isla, man, she's like, it's okay, Vic. It's okay. <laughs> that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> she acted like I was getting like my face tattooed. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's because I had my eyes closed because she was, like, painting my eyes so I had them closed on. Maybe that's why I was worried. I don't know, but it was awesome. She had to make sure you're okay, though. That's important to her. Yeah. You're her buddy. Okay, Vic. You're okay. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, yeah, man, we we had a good all night. We made some, drank some caribou loo. Um, There was a Pennywise there. There was a Georgie there. Uh, Shawn Michaels, a John Cena, a couple Pirates. Uh, hey, who's Georgie, John? No, no, uh, Andrew Mudd. Oh, okay. John came as uh, John came as a disgruntled Louisville fan, I think. Yeah, what a bum! He, he just wore a Louisville shirt because he's a bum. Yeah. But yeah, man, everybody came in, rode the bus because you know that's how we get down. I, I rode the bus with a, a bottle of hypnotic. And it probably wasn't my most wise decision of the night. <laughs> Don't you love things that aren't wise decisions? They're the best. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I usually have a lot of those. Yeah. But, you know, then it, it was caribou for the rest of the night, you know. It was a good night, man. I, I wish you could have made it out. Uh, I would have liked to. It just would have been, you know, with my wife being pregnant and my kids waking up in the middle of the night, fuck that. You know, I like I think yeah. I just don't want to do that to her. Maybe I'll be able to next year. We'll we'll see. Um, yeah, I will yeah. tell you though. You want to hear a funny story? Of course. Last night I was getting a face full of boobies. I was I was face deep in some boobies, and I hear daddy, daddy. <laughs> I'm like God damn it! And she goes, I'm gonna name them CB one and CB two, cock blocker one and cock blocker two. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's all too familiar sound in my house. Uh, yeah, just wait till you uh, get CB three. Yeah, CB three. Although they probably won't want me. You know how it is, like daddy's girls oh. and mama's boy. Yep, yep, yep. 
So, man, I, I, I don't know why, but I, I've, I've been trying to do more things for Halloween this year. It's never fucking panning out. Like, I didn't get to go to that Halloween parade, but I heard it wasn't that good anyway, so that's okay. Uh, you know, uh, there, there were some other things I wanted to do and I didn't get to do, but, I mean, there's lots of Halloween things going on. I just feel like, you know, with a family, there's some things you can do and others you can't. And the things you want to do really aren't the, or the, the things that you can do aren't the ones that you really want to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like I give you an example. Yeah. We're we're carving pumpkins Saturday with with um, the the Sitters family. That's not what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, want, I want to go listen to fucking ghost stories. I want to do something like that and get drunk and 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 sit around a fire. That's what I want to do. But, you know, I can't really do that. Sure you can. Sure you can. Yeah, sadly not, probably. You know. But, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. It, there's some cool things that get afforded from it, too, obviously. Um, by the way, Vic, you know what I found out? The um, the Oogie Boogie song and Nightmare Before Christmas. Ken Page actually did sing that song. So I'm not only getting the uh, Oogie Boogie actor, I'm getting the uh, the guy who sang it, unlike Chris Sarandon. That's pretty awesome. Yep. I'm pretty excited about that. That's one of my favorite songs in the whole thing. I've actually come around a lot on A Nightmare Before Christmas. I told you this. I have come around a lot on it, mainly because of my daughter. But, you know, there's there's some cool shit about it. I like the music, so I can tolerate it. It's all good. Yeah, Vic, it only took us like three fucking weeks into October, but goddamn, man, or four weeks, it feels like fall, bro. Yeah, it's a little chilly out here tonight, man, you know, like, I like it, though. I'd rather this than what we've been having. Yep, I'm outside pissing in the bushes. That's what I like. Yeah. Yeah, make your dick shrivel up when it's that cold, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, I just love the fact that it feels like fall again. I just feel like, you know, it's fucked up because I always feel like we don't have enough time in October. I wish there were more. I told you this. I wish more theaters would play classic horror movies. I'm going to have to go to the 2 o'clock showing tomorrow of A Nightmare on Elm Street, by the way. I'm not going to be able to do the 7. Oh, you suck. Yeah, my kids uh, will cause carnage. But you can always go by yourself. Oh, I, I will. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do it all the time. Yep, you know? yep, yep, yep. Oh, I'm fine. I'm in the bushes. Yeah. Not Blakey, unfortunately. No, no, no. I mean, it's not like she's working. I can get her down here, but she won't come. She won't come, exactly. Yeah, she'll, she'll have the daughter, I assume. So you think Jigsaw is going to make some money this weekend? I hope so. Yeah, man. I think it's going to fucking kill it this weekend. I hope so. I hope they make at least $80 million. Everybody loves Saul anyway. You better fucking love... Like, my wife doesn't like Saul, but she doesn't like the grizzly shit like I do. Yeah, well, she'll learn one day. <laughs> she'll, you're going to learn today. Yeah, Exactly. I've got confused dogs wandering around outside trying to figure out why I'm pissing in the bushes. 
I just scared one just for the fuck crazy. of it. Yeah. A loon ear in her fucking swollen ear. Having to drain her poor ear. It's still balloonish, but not as big as it was. Does that make sense? What did you say? She still has a balloon ear, but it's not as big as it was. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, it's still pretty big, just not like it was. I've drained a good portion of it, just not as much as it needs to be drained. So anyway... I want to watch um, Halloween Tales again on Netflix because I actually enjoyed it. Not trick or treat good or anything, but I still want to watch it again, so I'll do that. But yeah, man, that's all I've got for this week. We started a little early. That made me happy so I can get my old ass to bed. You got any thoughts you want to share on anything else? Anything grinding your gears? How about the fact that people just don't listen when I fucking provide logic about the Indy Power Rankings? This has only been going on for five years now. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude. Like, I I still don't understand. Like, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I just saw it. It was amused by it, and I figured I'd tag you and let you you see it. (laughs) And I ran wild. I ran wild. I'm getting harassed by stupid people I don't even know. I've never even heard of these bums. The only thing I took away from it was that one guy saying that uh, that promotions do look at these rankings and people do get bookings off of it. That, that was pretty cool. <laughs> that tells us a lot about what we do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just like, wish I had I, more time to commit to it. I just wanted to thank him for the information. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. But it yeah, was nice man. to know. People are stupid. People are stupid. Uh, fuck them all. Follow me on Twitter. Let me get this straight. Wrestlers are stupid, and we like certain yeah. wrestlers, but wrestlers are stupid, and there's a reason why I devote more time to the podcast than I do to the indie power rankings anymore. Which would you rather devote time to, something you enjoy or something that annoys you? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. That's why we're here every Tuesday night. Goddamn right. Every chance we can get, we'll be here. We'll be fucking providing you know, some sort of comedy or whatever the fuck it is we provide. But we'll be back next week talking some true tales of Halloween. And, again, I'm talking true, true stories that happen around Halloween. Deaths, murder, rape even. So I got a list for you. It'll be good shit. And we uh, might be in the same room at the same time next week. Uh, You never know, man. Looking forward to it. You never know where I might pop up. Vic might rape a dog. You you just never know what Vic's going to do. He's an animal. Yeah, goddamn wild, wild motherfucking animal. You, you dig? Yeah, you, you sound like Charlie Manson, sir. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No, I didn't say there was. I'm not a Charlie hater. He's a bum, yeah, but I'm not a hater. Uncle, Uncle Charlie's my guy, man. Let's go hang out with him. You're going to cry one of these days when he passes away, aren't you? Um, Is it found upon for me to say I would? It doesn't really matter what's frowned upon and some of the things we say on this show. That's a good point. So, yeah, I probably will. I probably will, Carl. Since my wife has passed out, I'll probably go upstairs, jack off, pass out. It's really hard to jack off when you're drunk, though, I've noticed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it takes too long. You got to jack off on her. <laughs> oh, well, I do that, too. I feel like I'll be too um, erratic, and I'll, like, get in trouble <laughs> for it. <laughs> Uh, you probably would. Because <laughs> you got to use extra force when you're drunk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that's just, oh. that is a weird show. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? 
<laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. All right, all right, G. Follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, all that shit. Travin Big Horror. TMVHorror at gmail.com. TravinBigHorror.wordpress.com. Find us on the Facebook and the YouTube and all the other bullshit. Vic Bonner, Phenomenal TOD, signing off. Peace. Later on, ninjas. <laughs>